You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Mission Impossible Part 4. Enjoy. We are going to get back into our series today. And the title of that series is Mission Impossible. Yeah, Judah, can you hit me up with the jams, man? All right. Yeah. Mission Impossible. Yeah. At Highway Church, we want you to know that God has done the impossible for you. And he did what what no one else could do. He did what the law could not do. In Romans chapter 8, verse 3, it says, For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son. The law couldn't set us free. The law couldn't, couldn't set us free from sin. The law couldn't defeat Satan. The law couldn't heal us. The law couldn't uh, deliver us from lack. God did that by sending his own son. And not only did God do the impossible for you through Christ, but through Christ, God has empowered you to do the impossible. Isn't that awesome? Luke one thirty seven says, For with God nothing shall be impossible. Do you guys believe that? For with God nothing. I like that. I like how God talks. He's superlative. Nothing shall be impossible. Mark 9.23, Jesus, God himself said, all things are possible. All and nothing. I like that. Nothing is impossible and all things are possible to him who believes. So we're focusing on what God has done for us through Christ and what God has empowered us to do in Christ, all right, what he's done for you through Christ and what he's empowered us to do in Christ. And we, left, we last left off in episode three, in part three, which was uh, back in early September, and we had said this, that we're God's special agents in the world. We're God's special agents in the world. We're his impossible mission force. We're the ones who are occupying until he comes. We're the open doors that God operates through in this world. It's us. We're his ambassador. Those who are born again, those who've given their lives to Christ, those who are passionately pursuing him, those who are standing on his promises. And I shared with you in part three kind of what I saw in my heart as I was praying and preparing during the week for Sunday. And I, and I saw um, uh, a vast expanse of gray. And as far as I look, all I could see was gray. And this is just something kind of I saw in my heart as I was preparing. And in this vast expanse of grayness, which represented confusion, uncertainty, fear, worry, anxiety, I saw a door open. And when this door opened, light began streaming from this door, pushing back the darkness. 
and turning the confusion into wisdom and the uncertainty into confidence, the anxiety into peace and the depression into joy. This door burst open and this light burst forth and then another door burst open and light burst forth from that door and then another door, poof, poof, and these doors just kept opening and all this light began to burst forth through each door. And what the Lord showed me was that those doors were the people who are trusting in Him, the people who have built their lives on His promises, the people who are standing on the promises of God who refuse to give in to the lies of the enemy. See, when you grab a hold of the promises of God, you may not see it, but there's light coming forward from you. You become an open door for God to operate through in the earth. And the devil wants to slam your door shut he wants to put your light out. So he does whatever he can to try and get you to move off of the promises of God. Jesus told a parable about the sower sowing a seed. Do you remember that one? And he said the seed is the word of God. And when the word of God is sown, like right now, the word of God is being sown in your hearts. And we, we, when we read the word, the word is sown in our hearts. When we speak it to ourselves, it's sown in our hearts. When we hear it preached. So there are promises being sown in your hearts right now. The devil's not happy about that. So what I want to try and do after you leave today is dislodge what's been sown. I'll try and dislodge that. And, and there are uh, a, a couple ways he'll do that. He'll accuse you, saying you don't deserve it. Right? He'll try and accuse you and condemn you. He'll, he'll through fear and doubt, Right or anxiety, worry, discouragement. He'll try and uh, bring these things into your life. He'll try and bring into your mind thoughts that are contrary to what God has promised you. But you have control over your mind. Yes. Do you know that? Second yes. Timothy one seven. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You through Christ have control over your mind, and you have the authority to determine what goes on in there. Don't allow ungodly thoughts to remain in your mind. They come in to all of our minds because we're living in planet Earth, right? And our minds are being changed and growing stronger. But there's no problem with an ungodly thought coming into your mind, but you don't want to let it stay there. All right? So as those ungodly thoughts come into our minds, we shoot them down with the promises of God. We destroy them with who Jesus is. We say, no, in the name of Jesus Christ, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I have the mind of Christ. I have the spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And you'll find out that your, mi- your mouth is more powerful than your mind. Right? It really is. And, and we've done this before, but let's do it again just as a refresher. Silently, I want to ask you to, in your mind, when I say go, silently, to begin counting to 25 by ones. One, two, three. In your mind, silently, okay? Go. Now, when I say, I want you to say out loud with your mouth, go, Patriots. Say it. Did you stop counting? Why? Because your mouth overrides your mind. Very important to understand that. Man thinks this is where the power is. The power is in your heart, in your spirit, and your mouth activates that power. And it will supersede this every time. 
right? Your mind can't continue if your, uh, your mind can't override what your mouth declares. That's why Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, right? Very important to understand that. All right, so we are open doors that God's operating through. Eden, would you pull up Isaiah 60, verses 1 and 2? And this is what I saw, these open doors. People that were deciding to believe God regardless of what it looks like in their lives, to believe God. And when they're doing that, this light is streaming from them. Isaiah 60, verse 1 and 2, here are the people that I, that I saw and that, 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 that I'm talking about. God says, arise, my people. Now, what is he talking about, arise? Does he want us to fly away in a spaceship to another planet? No, he's saying, stand up and be my sons and daughters in the earth. Stand up and be the people I've made you to be in the earth. Arise and shine. Take your place as my sons and daughters. Let your light shine for all the nations to see, for the glory of the Lord is streaming from you. This is just something I like to do. Uh, I just watched Thor number two. What's it called? Dark World or something? But what I, I don't watch a lot of movies, but uh, I'm an imagination guy. I like to see uh, visions put into, into reality. But I like, I like uh, the way that they'll try and capture power on, on these uh, sci-fi films, but they'll, you'll see this energy just radiating from them, you know, like this almost invisible wave that just goes out, or sometimes they'll be covered with this glowing light, but I like to imagine that about the life of Christ in me, this, the glowing light of his Holy Spirit, the light of Christ. God gave us our, imagine, our imagination to experience him, right? So use your imagination. See the glory of God streaming from you. I like that, man. When, when people knew Thor was coming, things changed, right? <laughs> well, when you come, things change. When we come into the mall, things change. We're going to the food court after service, and the glory of God's going to be streaming through the food court. Be open to the Holy Spirit. You see someone maybe who needs encouragement or prayer, you, you can be led by the Spirit in the food court. Well, the glory of God is streaming from us. Verse 2, darkness as black as night shall cover all the peoples of the earth. That shouldn't be a surprise to us. But the glory of the Lord will shine from you. you. Amen. Amen. So this is what we're doing. We're on earth as God's special agents to let the world know that with God nothing is impossible. We said impossible. What, what, What really is the word impossible? Where'd that come from? Where did that come from? didn't come from God. Impossible is simply man in his limited reasoning. And regardless of, of how educated you might be, how much life experience you might have, how successful you may be in this world, you are very limited in what you can see and understand. So man in his limited, short-sighted perspective has declared certain things to be impossible. It's just a man-made limitation. But we are God's people in the earth to declare that with God, nothing is impossible. That all things are possible to him who believes. See, just on the other side of impossible, there's a living God waiting to show himself to you. 
So if you're bold enough to step over the threshold of what man says impossible, you'll find God is right there. And he's waiting to show himself to you and to show you how big and limitless he really is. But you can't be afraid of man. The fear of man will trap you. What does it really matter what people say or think about us? Really? What, how is that going to change our lives? We, the li- we serve the living God. And if he says it, that's what matters because what he says goes. So we've, so we've stepped over that threshold. We're on the other side of impossible now, right? We're in the realm where God lives. He's round about and he's within and he's moving through us and he's growing us and strengthening us in him. And he's called us into this life. He really has. Let's look at Mark 11. Mark chapter 11. Actually, put up Luke 18 before we go there, Eden. Luke 18, 27. Look what, look what God says through Gabriel. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. I love that. Because, boy, man gets so arrogant in what he knows. Doesn't he? And he will write volumes of books. He'll build schools on what he knows. But I like it. God trumps it all. Doesn't he? It's about him. It's not about us, really. It's, we're, we're on earth as his people for his glory. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. So, you know, anytime I see on the news or, or another report, come, someone coming out, coming out and saying, well, this can't be done, I just laugh. I say, go, God, show them. Show them yourself, Father. Okay, let's go to Mark 11. So God is calling us over the threshold of impossible. God's calling us into this supernatural life. Christianity was never meant to be a weak, anemic, politically correct thing. We're meant to be the super disciples of Jesus, right? We're meant to be people who do what Jesus did and greater things than these. Jesus said that in John 14, 12 through 14. Now here's Jesus, who's God in the flesh, right? So if I disagree with Jesus, I need to change, right? Because he's truth. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And he's in front of his disciples in verse 22 of Mark 11, and he says something to them, and they've been watching him operate. Them watching him heal the sick, raise the dead, right? The blind seeing, the deaf hearing, supernaturally providing for them. And he says to them, embrace this God life. Oh, I love that. That's the message translation. Embrace this God life. Really embrace it. What is he doing? He said, come up. Come up higher. Start living life in a different way. Embrace this God life, really embrace it, and nothing will be too much for you. So if I'm getting overwhelmed, I know I'm not trusting in him. I'm not embracing this God life. If I do, nothing will be too much for me. This mountain, for instance, just say go jump in the lake, no shuffling or shilly-shallying, and it's as good as done. Verse 24, that's why I urge you to pray, to speak to absolutely everything, ranging from small to large, include everything as you embrace this God life, and you'll get God's everything. Wow. That is amazing. 
That is amazing. How can he say that you'll get God's everything? That sounds like 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything. Right? Everything. So God wants us to have his everything. Boy, religion will fight you on that one. But God says, I want you to have my everything. I want you to experience all that I am in your life. Wow, embrace this God life and you'll get God's everything. Matthew, sounds like Matthew 6.33. Have you ever read that in the message translation? Let's put that up there. Same Jesus talking. The way, the truth, and the life speaking. Steep, I like that. Like a tea bag in a hot cup of tea. Soak yourself in. Immerse yourself in God reality. God initiative, God provisions. Immerse yourself in the reality of what God has done for you through Christ. Immerse yourself in the fact that it was his initiative, that he loved you first, that he provided for you before you ever knew who he was. Immerse yourself in the rich provisions of God, which are nothing less than the very riches of Christ. So it's a new kind of life, and he's called it into it, and we're living it here at Highway Church, right? This is who we are. We're, we're, we're the impossible people, right? We're the impossible bunch, the impossible mission force, and we've crossed over this line. You know, it was impossible for us to be saved from sin. Impossible. For us to be set free from sin, there had to be a, a human being, a man, born into this earth, and live his entire life perfectly before God. And then he would have to take our place, agree to take our place on the cross and bear the punishment of our sins. But the problem with that is that every human being after Adam was born a sinner. <laughs> so there were no one qualified for that. And it was impossible for Jesus to come into the earth. In order for Jesus to come into the earth, he had to lay down his glory. He was the son of God. He had to say yes to the Father. He had to empty himself of his godliness, it says in Philippians, I think, chapter 2. And he had to come into the earth by the power of the Holy Spirit as a little boy impregnated in a virgin. This is impossible. Have you ever thought about what we're really all about? We're all about impossible as Christians. The whole foundation of what we do is impossible. But Jesus did it. He said yes to the Father. Hallelujah. Yes. He did it. Yes. He said yes, and he emptied himself of his glory. Let's take a look at this in Luke chapter 1. I love this passage. I like looking at this young lady, Mary. Man, I like to kind of put myself there, you know, right next to her watching what's going on. See, what, what must that have been like? Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Hallelujah. And verse 26 says, and in the sixth month, what's the sixth month of what? Anybody know? Yeah, of, of her cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy, right? The angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph, Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So God is sending his word to Mary. 
And the angel came into her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with you. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, now she's a young woman ready to be married. And she's a woman who loves God, who's devoted to him, but she's a human being just like you and me. So she, she, Gabriel shows up and begins to speak to her. Now you remember and realize that Mary wasn't born again. Mary didn't have the Holy Spirit. That couldn't happen until after Jesus rose from the dead and after the Holy Spirit came. So she was still really in the old covenant, right? And God speaks to her in verse 29. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Are you there with Mary? Are you with me? Kind of, you know, use your imagination to see this. And the angel says unto her, fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name salvation. God saves now. That's what Jesus means. Now. Okay, He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. This is Messiah talk. This is the redemption of Israel talk. Mary's getting this. 33, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom of his kingdom there shall be no end. Verse 34, then Mary said unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? All right, let's... Let's try and get Mary's perspective here. So Mary's a, a human being living on planet Earth. She's taken Anatomy 101 by this point, right? So she knows that for a baby to be born, a, a husband, a wife, a man, and a woman have to come together. So that, that's in her equation. So God is speaking to her and what she's doing. She's trying to figure out in her natural mind how this can happen. Okay? So, okay, Anatomy 101. Well, wait a minute. That's a problem there. I'm a virgin. I'm not married yet. Haven't been with a man. That's the second. Okay, yeah, okay. So man and woman have to come together. I'm a virgin. I'm not married yet. How? Now, Mary knew enough about God to know that when he spoke, that his promise was for now. That's what Jesus means. God saves now. In other words, she could have said, well, okay, when I get married, you know, to Joseph, then we'll have a son. And no, she knew enough to know that God was speaking that he is I am, not I'm going to be. He's the present tense God. His promises are for you today. She knew that much, but she couldn't figure out how this would happen. What was the missing factor in Mary's equation? The power of God, the impossibleness of God. This is God talking. This is the word of God under her. The missing equation was, wait a minute, God says so. The power of God can make a virgin pregnant. Hallelujah. And he's only done it once, and that's the only time he'll ever do it. But he did it for a very specific reason. Hallelujah. So, verse 34. God is gracious, and he, and he loves Mary, and he says, The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and the power of the, of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore also that 
also that holy thing which shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. So he said, it's the power of God that's going to do this in your life, Mary. It's not your own natural reasoning. It's, not, it's the power of God. Verse 36, and behold, now he's encouraging her. He's going to let her know that her cousin Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is uh, the sixth month with her who was called barren. So Mary knows her cousin Elizabeth was barren, and she's beyond the age of childbearing, and he's telling her she's got a baby. She's six months pregnant. That's an encouragement. It's a testimony. Verse 37, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Come on, we're lifting out. We're, 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 we're lifting up out of this natural realm of possibilities into the supernatural. Verse 38, and Mary said, now she's got it. That's all she needed to hear. Oh, it's the power of God that's going to do this in my life. Okay, I'm good now. And then she says, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to your word. And the angel said, okay, I'm all set. And he took off. He knew she got it. Isn't that awesome? And that's what I say when I read a promise of God in the word. I say, Father, be it unto me according to your word. Don't let everyone, anyone ever tell you you have to be careful of what you pray for. You serve a loving God that will never hurt you. He'll never turn his back on you. He'll never betray you. You can talk to your father about anything at any time, anywhere, and he'll never do you wrong. He'll never do you wrong. So we're the people in the earth right now. We've put the missing factor back into the equation. We're the ones who know it's the power of God. We're the ones traveling the earth everywhere we go during the week, letting people know that the missing factor in their lives is the power of God. We need the power of God to overcome this world. There's no law that can be passed. There's no uh, person that can be elected that's going to fix it. We need the power of God to be victorious in this world, and, and God wants us to take that step forward. Hallelujah. God, you're so good. Hallelujah. So what did he do? He sent his son Jesus. He set this whole thing up. And you know what Jesus did? He defeated Satan. He defeated sin. He defeated sickness. He defeated lack. And we talked about that a little bit earlier on in our series. And I want to bring it, uh, finish today by, by talking about one of the most common misconceptions in Christianity. Jesus defeated sin. And through faith in Christ, you can be free from it forever. Religion will fight me on this one too. But I want to show you this. All right? This is one of, the, one of the most common misconceptions in Christianity, and I want to share it with you. It's something I've heard since I got saved. And I've heard it from Christians, from some pastors, some leaders, and they'll make this statement. And they'll say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And you say, well, isn't that true? What's wrong with that statement? Well, there's something wrong with that statement, and I want to show you what it is. I am a sinner saved by grace. The last half is true. We're saved by grace. But there's something wrong with the first half, and I want to show you what that is. To say I am a sinner is to put yourself in the present tense state of that, right? 
before I put my faith in Christ, before you put your faith in Christ, all of us were sinners, mm-hmm. right? Yes. We were all born in sin. Yes. We were all sinners. But the problem with the statement from someone who's put their faith in Christ, who's been born again, to say, I am a sinner, there is a failure to recognize the change that took place in you when you put your faith in Christ. And boy, that will limit you big time. Let me explain that. When you put your faith in Christ, this is going to sound crazy, but you'll hear a lot of crazy stuff at Highway Church. You went from being a sinner to a saint. Immediately. A saint? Now, this was crazy to me when I started reading the Bible because I was brought up in a church that taught me saints were these special people that had already died, and and this special committee had to meet and study the life of that person to determine if they did enough good things for these men to then qualify them that they are saints. That is so contrary to the gospel, it's not funny. There's nothing right about that. Man can't qualify you by judging your works. You can't do enough good works to be a saint. I don't care what you do. God qualified us to be saints through the sacrifice of his son. And you will see in the scriptures, in the epistles, that men and women who, who believe in Christ are referred to as saints, who are living right now. So I'm looking at saints. Very important to understand. What does that word mean? What's the, uh, the Greek word? Hagos, I think. It means holy, pure, and blameless. That's you, if you've put your faith in Christ. See, but religion has, tried to, has, has created this artificial chasm between you and God that you can't cross. And and it's not true. The religion keeps you on the side of of falling short. We all fell short. But Christ has made up the difference. And he's taken us out of the kingdom of darkness and brought us into his kingdom now. So what do we say as believers? We say we were sinners but we were saved by grace. And now we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is scripturally correct. You see the difference? If I think of myself as a sinner, I'm already shutting the door to God operating in my life. I've already determined I can't overcome sin. But when I realize when I put my faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit made my spirit brand new, that God put his spirit in me, that I now have his nature in me, and that sin no longer has a hold on me, I begin to live differently. And I was bound in sin as a young man. All kinds of different sins. Pornography and alcohol and and, uh, cursed better than anybody. You know, friends who did all kinds of stuff. I was lost. But when I gave my life to Christ and realized what I'm sharing with you, that stuff fell off me like water off a duck's back. And I began to walk in a new kind of life. No longer bound, but free. Let's look at this in 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. 
This is the Bible. And people need to know that Christ has set them free from sin. Religion says it's impossible. You've got to struggle with sin the rest of your life. The scriptures don't teach that. They say that Jesus did it. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Are you ready for this one? This is the Phillips New Testament. Then we'll go into the NIV. Verse 17. For if a man is in Christ, he becomes a sinner. No. Wouldn't that be sad? If God gave his son and we were still, we were still unchanged, what a sad redemption that would be. Well, God sent his son, but I'm still bound by sin. Can't help it. Fooey on that. No, we're new people altogether. The past is finished, gone. Everything has become fresh and new. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. All this is God's doing. We don't, a church committee can't do this. Are you kidding me? For he has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. He did it. And he has made us agents of his reconcili of the reconciliation. God was in Christ personally, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. If God doesn't count them, why does the church try and count people's sins? What, do we have some, some special wisdom God doesn't have that we need to count people's sins? I think not, right? God doesn't count them, and we sure don't. And he's commissioned us with the message of real reconciliation, not with the ministry of counting sins. We have a message of reconciliation, that your sins have been covered through the blood of Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him and become new and be set free from sin forever. Hallelujah. Verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Come back to him. Let him love you. Let, let him show himself to you. For God made him, verse 21, who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. That is what you should be speaking in your life. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You try it. You begin to say that and believe that about yourself. And you'll watch how temptations begins to lose its lure in your life. Because the reality is you, if you've put your faith in Christ, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And boy, does the world need to know this. Okay, we're, we're going to have some communion here. Before we do that, one more scripture. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Eden. Oh boy, I've got so many other good scriptures I wanted to give you. Woo! Oh, well, let's see. We have a few. We got a little bit of time. Let's try and get it in there. Let's get a few more. Eden, let's go to Romans 8 4. Now, are you with me? Are, are you following what I'm saying here? This is like religious, uh, ha this is like danger zone to, to tell people that they're the righteousness of God in Christ. I mean, there are, there are denominations that will, would throw a fit if they, if they heard stuff like this. But nevertheless, it is the gospel. Yes. All right? It is the gospel. All right, so we've gone from sinner to saints, and boy, the glory of God is streaming through us. Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death. 
in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we will struggle through life and, and hope. Oh, wait a minute. No, no. Through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. When? Today. Today. God's provided newness of life for you today. Right now. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to have to skip ahead. Let's see. Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Verse 10. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Look at verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I say that a temptation comes my way. We're all tempted. And I say I'm dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And I stand on that. It's amazing how that temptation just dissipates. You got to know who you are in Christ. All right, we got three more scriptures. Can you hang with me? All right, Matthew 8.33. Matthew, excuse me, Matthew 6.33. Matthew 6.33. We read this earlier in the message. Here's the tra- translation you're more familiar with. It says, but seek first his kingdom, this is Jesus talking, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now, what religion has done is turn this into a lifelong project of you striving to be a better person, hoping to earn God's favor. That's how religion has interpreted this. I want to show you that's very wrong. Jesus said, seek first whose kingdom? Man's or God's? God's. Whose righteousness? Man's or God's? God's righteousness. Okay, now. Romans 5.17, keep that in mind. What is Jesus telling us to do? Not earn righteousness, but seek God's righteousness. Well, Romans 5.17 tells us that if by the transgression of the one, who's the one? Adam, right? Death reigned through that one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the what? The gift. God's righteousness is a gift. So Matthew 6.33, that's why the message translation is so important, is an exhortation and an invitation to live by faith. Because the righteousness of God is received by faith. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provision. That's what the message says. So Jesus is inviting us to live by faith in the righteousness of God. Do you see that? The grace of God and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. The devil can't condemn you when you realize that God's righteousness is a gift. And it's based on what Jesus did, not on what you've done. All right? Well, last scripture, Romans 1, 16. So this enables the glory of God to flow through us. You go through life knowing that you're the righteousness of God in Christ. You're not a sinner anymore. You have a new nature, and it's His nature. That doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. We're not perfect. We're still still growing. But we've got a new nature now. And every day we're getting stronger. And every day who we are in the inside is showing up more on the outside. We're stronger every day. More of Jesus is seen in our lives every day. We're growing. 
Romans 1.17, I'm not 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Gospel means good news, right? To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, here it is again, the righteousness of who? God is revealed. What's God's righteousness? A gift, right? And then he says in verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. And the the living Bible says, the man who finds life will find it through trusting God or through faith. So Matthew 6.33 is not a command to you, for you to strive for the rest of your life. It's an invitation to step into a new way of living, to live by faith in what God has done for you. Mission impossible. Hallelujah. Let's get ready to have some communion before we finish. Father, we thank you for this uh, new life. You did it through Jesus. You did it. Hallelujah, what the law could not do, you did it. You set us free from sin. You made us your sons and daughters where you wiped out our transgressions and we're new creations in you. And we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life he came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.